Welcome to All About Bikes, the podcast from Pivot Cycles. My name is Jens Staud and I will be hosting Chris Kokels from Pivot and Everett Eriksson from Fox today. We will talk about the electronic supported system called Fox Live Valve. It's been on the market for over three years now and pretty much all models from Pivot are Live Valve compatible. Where this idea came from, how it works for you on the trail and why it's more than a lockout and can be a great addition to an enduro bike. Everett, the actual inventor of LiveValve, will give you an insight on the challenges of developing something so sophisticated and why it almost can transform your regular bike to feel like it has a motor. So very welcome today with Chris Kokalis from Pivot. Hello Jens. And Everett Erickson from Fox. So if we want to know more about Fox Live, Everett, you're probably the best person to talk about it, right? Uh, yeah, I head up the advanced products group in Fox. Uh, we actually just changed the name to the Mechatronics Engineering Group. You are responsible for Fox Life on mountain bikes. Uh, yeah, I'm the inventor. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer, so um, Live Valve is our first foray into bringing electronics into um, passive mechanical systems. Uh, I'm the inventor. I, I, this goes back probably 12 years or so i worked with bob fox on it so actually bob and i are enlisted as the inventors on the technology as far as i know everett your history is not only mountain bikes so maybe you tell us a bit more about your background and how you ended up doing bikes <laughs> yeah that's a that's an interesting question actually where do ideas come from um i after graduate school i i did grad work in um, controllable shock absorbers using magnetorheological fluid um, it's a fluid where the viscosity changes when you apply a magnetic field. Anyways, that's not important, but it opened doors to a job in Detroit. Uh, I moved to Detroit after grad school and I was working for Tenneco Automotive and their advanced products group working on electronic suspension. And we had some really cool technology. The work was fun. And then 9-11 happened and the whole division got canceled and uh, they just created everything and put it in storage. And I think that was really the genesis of things that we didn't do back then were just kind of seeds for thinking about live valve. Probably 10, 10 years later, we got a mandate from the management at Fox to start working on electronic suspension. And I already had an idea what I wanted to do because I've been thinking about it just kind of in the background for so long. Um, so that was the genesis of live. We started in mountain bikes first and worked on it for about six months. And um, I had had a background in power sports for uh, the first 10 years that I was at Fox. I actually was in the power sports side of the business. And then when this advanced products group got opened, I was tapped to lead and, and found that group. Um, so quickly we said, man, this has application in power sports as well. And we opened up a parallel program and we're uh, working on both, both projects simultaneously. Um, which was a cool experience because I think there's a lot of cross-pollinization of what we are learning on side-by-sides and, and uh, bigger vehicles we are applying to bike and, and vice versa, actually. In particular, what is the main benefit to have Fox Life on your mountain bike? The trade-off typically with bicycles and suspension is pedaling efficiency versus grip and versus comfort, right? Um, and so... In passive systems, I'm talking just standard shock absorber systems, you have to make a valve cut, which is the tuning inside the shock that's kind of an overall 
pedals decently, but still works in downhill situations and uh, still gives enough support that it goes uphill okay, right? And regardless of the linkage systems, I mean, some linkages are better than others for sure, but there's always that compromise or that kind of sweet spot that you try to hit. Um, and that's why we we're so excited about injecting electronics because it gives us like another dimension to explore where you can use sensors and a controllable valve to change the state of the shock based on the situations on the trail, right? And the goal is to knock down some of those compromises. Before we really start digging down into the rabbit hole, um, I remember that Fox Life had been communicated to the media, to the world, and uh, then it maybe took about a year to actually come out to market. What were actually the challenges and who do you teamed up with? Yeah, Chris was the first first person we worked with on the project. Um, that was definitely some strategy there. Um, <laughs> difficulties. that. Fox is a mechanical engineering company for sure. And so there was a big learning curve for us on manufacturing electronics, to be honest. Um, but also what we were trying to do is pretty challenging. I mean, this is one of the fastest valves in any market, you know, power sports, uh, racing, motorcycles, you know, it's, it's a really fast valve. Um, but the biggest challenge actually is the lack of power, right? Like the, mo the, Motorsports guys have it so easy because they have an alternator and they have a battery on board, right? So we're trying to do all the fast stuff and pretty complicated algorithms, but also do it well, just sipping battery because you have just this tiny battery on board, right? Um, so the valves have to be small. They have to be very power efficient. And then that creates this compromise or this challenge with friction and just all these mechanical things in respect to a very small actuator. And so as we were approaching the original release date, we just, we were having issues with the valves, you know, they, they weren't necessarily as durable as we wanted them to be or as consistent. And we made this, this hard choice. It was, it was a really ugly decision to delay it a year, but we said, if we release it and it sucks, then we've compromised all this development. We've released a product that the, we don't think the market's going to be happy about. And so we made the decision to give it another year. And that year, just we brought on better suppliers. We got better at manufacturing and we met our, our metrics for a successful launch. That's what we did. So Chris, what you came up with? The first system, I believe you guys were running it on a Kona, uh, just a test bike. Yep. In, in Scotts Valley and Santa Cruz there. And um, I would say that probably worked great for climbing up a, a fairly smooth uphill and having the system firm and then uh, going downhill and hitting the first bump and being on a, on a, on a downhill for a while. Um, and, but from our perspective, everything here is just so jagged and it's just up, down, up, down, power moves, everything. And um, it, didn't initially really know how to handle that type of stuff. And uh, you, there was an inconsistency in it opening and closing and, um, and really not knowing what's going on with the terrain. And uh, so, yeah, there, initially it was just evolution with trying to get those algorithms to work. And then um, one of the test sessions were uh, Everett and group of the, 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 uh, the Live Valve Advanced Products team actually came out. Um, they had introduced the idea of pitch detection where we could change um, 
how the system behaved going up, going across flat terrain, going down, um, and then a whole bunch of other things, which uh, um, Everett's probably not willing to talk about, uh, that really made that system super smart um, in, the, in the way it handled the terrain. So, yeah, it was at least four or five um, systems, and, I, and even the iterations of shock valving beyond what was happening with the live valve and the algorithms and the electronics to get this whole thing to work together. And then there was just a lot of little fit and finish details. Like, um, the connectors were pretty, um, common for electronics out in the world, but not so much for the bicycle industry. So they had uh, little tiny five pin connectors. The pins could get bent very easily. Uh, the waterproofing, the, there was, there was metal screw together parts for the connectors, which were, difficult to keep from uh, not banging around and making noise or scratching the frame in different areas. And uh, so just even revamping the way the system connected together and that you couldn't pr plug the wrong thing into, you know, basically being able to plug a wheel sensor in into the, uh, into the fork sensor. Um, and so they really thought, rethought all the connectors and how everything snaps together and, um, and, and made it easy to set up, easy to use. So there, there was a lot of boxes to check in that last year um, before it actually launched into the marketplace. And by the, by the time it got there, it was, we, we had reached points during that year where it was like, okay, I could, this is pretty good. I could live with this. I could see how somebody could want it, but I would still say inside, but I wouldn't want it because you know, I want to know what my bike is going to do every time at this exact same location. If I go to do this step up, it's going to behave the same every time. And that was getting the system to that was probably that, that last couple of percent that took the longest amount of time and where the Fox guys were probably the most challenged and we were probably the most vocal. Um, and yeah, once it got got to that point it was just it's just pretty amazing i mean just the ability how you can pump through a corner and it knows when to compress when to take a set when not to take a set uh, jump faces um the fact that it when you're in the air it uh it opens up completely for landing um it's just doing things so quickly at such an advanced level that it's really hard to fathom everything that's that's been built into the system and what it's possible of capable of talking about the capability of the system how much faster you were on your local test tracks chris well we were the first bike that we did with the with the system was the mach 5.5 um which it's a great all-around 27.5 trail bike uh and we had actually launched the bike over a year earlier with with all the integration for the Fox stuff and not telling anybody what these little rubber covers were for that just, there's something coming that's going to use this. Um, and so from that bike, the perspective of that bike, it wasn't, it's an all around trail bike. The idea was to make your ride more enjoyable. And so if, if you can have a system that you don't have to touch and you're just more efficient climbing and you're plusher anytime you hit a bump and, and the bike just behaves in an all-around great way. That was the really initial goal, the first starting point of can we kind of widen 
the use case of how to make a bike work great. Um, and, and so that we didn't have to just find a, a middle point for suspension that works not only in a wide array, but then maybe on a steeper climb, you might reach down and touch the, grab the, push the lever to, to a firmer setting or, um, or just deal with it the way it is. Um, our bikes are designed to pedal great, but this was really enables us to open the boundaries up a little bit in both directions. And then from there, we're like, okay, what, what can this be as far as an XC race system? And that's the time when we were working on the Mumok 4SL. Um, we knew, especially for Europe, handlebar lockouts are a big thing. Uh, having the ability to, to firm up the rear shock and the, and the fork at the same time is a big deal. Um, and at the same time, that, that requires extra cables and extra effort on the rider's part to be on top of that. And I think anybody who's ridden a bike with uh, a manual lockout knows that you get in cases where you've climbed something and all of a sudden you're coming up hard over the top and then you drop down into something pretty technical. And now we're dealing with a dropper lever as well. So you want to get your seat down, and at the same time, you forget then to release your lockouts. And yeah, there's a blow-off and everything, but to hit those first big drops and those bumps and not have your suspension compress, that's a pretty big deal. So the ability to re really just be able to pin it and concentrate on your racing, on your lines, on everything, and just have this system react exactly as it's supposed to in, in every scenario you can think of is... Um, it's game-changing. If you look on a Fox Live equipped bike, you obviously can see the main controller in the middle of the frame. And in the back of the fork on the, on the lower crown, you see one sensor bolted to it. And right next to the axle of the rear end of the frame, there's also a second sensor, right? Yeah, so we have what we call bump sensors that are mounted to the wheels, essentially, the front wheel and the rear wheel. Um, we call that the unsprung mass. And those are the sensors that you need for reading what the terrain is doing, right? And then do we have a main controller? That's where the battery attaches to. That's mounted to the frame, which we call the sprung mass. And so we use those sensors to determine what the bike is doing and as far as what the pitch is, you know, are you going uphill, are you going downhill? And then we use the bump sensors attached to the wheels to measure the terrain and know if you're in bumpy conditions or if you're in smooth terrain. It, that's a simplification of the system. So Fox Life is actually coming from a moto background. And yeah, you have a motor, you can produce electricity, there's batteries, weight isn't the issue. And the first Fox Life bikes mostly had some kind of a more trail cross-country approach to it. What did you do to actually convince those people that are very weight sensitive, so these super weight weenies? I mean, if you add weight, you got to bring some more benefits to the table. Well, the the weight weenies, um, first of all, full full respect to weight weenies. Um, that's probably the hardest category. <laughs> it's it's really hard to convince somebody that they need the system and it's worth the extra weight, right? And in my experience the benefits of not you, you can use your mental capacity to focus on the trail or the breathing or whatever um particularly deep into a, 
a long cross country race where you probably don't have a lot of capacity for those other things, right? And just being able to remove worrying about your suspension and your lockout position was such a huge advantage for the endurance uh, type athlete that it far outweighed the weight penalty. That's been my experience. Um, but I would say it's hard for me to convince you just with words. I think you would have to try it, right? And make, make your own judgment on that. And I, I think you would find that it is definitely worth the weight penalty. So Fox Live is actually doing the lockout or handling the lockout for you a thousand times a second. It measures the ground. And it does actually more than just locking out your suspension. It's what else is it capable of, Everett? Yeah, so talking about the sensors, we we have single axis accelerometers in the front wheel and the rear wheel. We call that the unsprung mass. And those sensors are meant to measure the acceleration that the terrain is imparting to the wheel and ultimately to the bike, right? And it's a single axis because we only care about the direction of the wheel travel, right? And then we have sensors on what we call the sprung mass, which is the frame of the bike. And we use those for the pitch detection to know if it's uphill, downhill, or flat terrain. And we also use it to detect when you're in free fall. And so uh, that sensor is a three-axis accelerometer. So we get forward, fore and aft, lateral, and then up and down the vertical. And the free fall sensor is cool because it... uh, it does some calculations, got the math involved, and uh, you can determine when you're in free fall, you're basically in zero G environment. One uh, G is what we experience when we're just um, on the ground, right? And so we use that sensor as an example to uh, detect when you're jumping, when you're in the air, the system opens the suspension, so you're you're guaranteed soft when you land. The Fox Life system is available on our Mark 4SL cross-country bike, Trail 429 trail bike. Then the Mach 5.5, trail enduro-ish, Mach 6, 27.5, enduro switchblade, 29, enduro trail, fiber, 29, enduro. So how do all these different user groups benefit from this system? Like it's from cross-country all the way up to enduro. We really thought of it as a simple system from, from the very beginning and that it is the live valve opens or closes. And so it's on or off and you really start to just think about things as A and B. And with the cross country bike, we want a little bit of that. We want firm for pedaling performance and then open for, uh, uh, for descending or, or, or bump compliance. And those things can change whether you're climbing on flat and descending on how each of those items reacts. But with, when you take a look at a Mach 4 SL versus a Firebird, And even the switchblade, we found people don't want their fork to stiffen up the same way on a enduro or downhill type bike or long travel trail bike as they do on their cross country race bike. In fact, really nobody reaches down and touches lockout levers or flips switches on their um, on their forks when they're climbing on the longer travel bikes. And so the initial systems were like, okay, why is my fork firming up anytime? I, I just like the cush when I'm leaning into the front end. I, I like support, but at the same time, um, you don't want any loss of bump compliance. And so the development of the valving in the, in the fork and the shock that happens around 
these the systems has changed quite a bit as we've evolved. Um, so the electronics has its capabilities of being on or off, but now how the oil flows within within the suspension can change a lot more too. So um, the Firebird Mach six, those are great examples in that the forks on those um, there's a there's a lot of bleed around the live valve, and we're really just going from plush to plusher. Um, and then on the rear shock, we're going from nice support uh, to something quite a bit plusher than what you would run on the Float X or the Flow X2 uh, normally as a complete balanced system. So you can get a bike that is super cushy on the downhill and not give up anything on the climbs from what the normal settings would be with a grip two fork um, or like I said, a float X, uh, float X two rear shock. Um, but just again, have a, a little bit wider array of, of what's possible with the system. Um, we're on the trail 429. We have a bike where that, that one is the best example of trying to achieve kind of both ends of the spectrum. So we don't have the fork stiffen up um, when the live valve is on. It's really more towards what we're doing on the Firebird, the rear shock. In some ways, it's actually even more extreme than the Mach 4 SL because that one in the open setting needs to behave more like a switchblade. But in the closed setting, we want it to behave more like a Mach 4 SL in its closed setting. So there's more extremes in that. And and how the valving can accommodate that along with the electronics to make the whole system work um, smoothly is is really quite amazing. And that's, I think, the biggest thing we've learned in the last several years of development of the system and expanding it across the line of bikes, of how do you make each bike work in a wider range of terrain than, um, than it can with just the standard suspension. Can you put it that simple that by owning a Fox Live bike, you rather have just one bike in your garage than two? Well, we always liked everybody to have more than two pivots in the garage. And that's <laughs> definitely our end goal. But, but yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever bike you pick for that day, you can definitely know that, you know, if your buddies, uh, if, you, if you pull your Firebird out and then they drag you on some cross-country trail, you're maybe a little bit better equipped for the job. And same thing on the Trail 429, if all of a sudden you're in bike park terrain, um, you've got something that can back you up a little bit better in those scenarios. We talked a little bit about the development and how Chris helped to bring the system to market, getting the connectors better. So obviously there's an elephant in the room. Why there is no wireless version of it? Yeah, that's an obvious question and certainly a question that we asked. And at the time that we were in heavy development of the system, the Bluetooth was probably the most advanced wireless system that was commercially available. And it was just too slow to sense a bump in the sensor, front sensor, let's say, communicate that message to the computer, the computer opens the suspension. It was just too slow that um, when that bump comes in, you would feel it in your hands before the valve would open. Right. We call this latency in our, in our world. And I'll, I'll throw out some numbers. So with a wired sensor, the latency is essentially zero seconds. Right, it's The, the sensor senses it instantaneously sent to the controller. The controller very quickly, of talking in a 
two to three milliseconds, opens the valve and the damping starts dropping. Talk about the fork. And so that's why you can strike a bump with the front wheel and the fork softens before you feel it in your hands, right? Uh, when we were doing, when we were looking at the wireless condition, we were baking in latency in the hardwired sensor. So we were saying, let's say that there were 20 milliseconds of latency due to the wireless, right? If it were to happen. And we'd go ride it and we'd say, is that acceptable? Is that type of uh, response delay acceptable? And this is subjective, so it's a it can be a pretty difficult thing to do. But we we were pretty unanimous that it was around 10 milliseconds of communication latency is where you started to feel the system wasn't quite as crisp as it as the wired version, right? Uh, and then for comparison, at the time the wire the Bluetooth latency was about 50 milliseconds. So it's not like we were close. We were five times the threshold of what we felt was started to compromise the speed of the system. And so uh, at the time, it just, it was too much of a performance compromise to uh, go with the wireless. So while riding a bike with a Fox Live system, uh, it analyzes the ground and reports to the computer and to the algorithm, and it decides in which mode you're actually in, like open or closed. So on the controller, there is actually, there's a button and you can change between five levels of it. Everett, what does these five different levels do and how they affect your feel on the bike and on the trail? Yeah, the levels are what we call the bump threshold. And so the, let, let's take it back. I'm going to give you a simplified version of how the system works, right? Let's say you're going down smooth terrain, suspension's firm pedals great and you hit an isolated tree root in the in the trail right so when that front wheel hits the tree root the wheel starts to accelerate upwards it's going over the root it detects that acceleration and it says okay we just we just encountered an obstacle let's go to soft suspension so it opens the suspension to take up that tree root and it starts a timer right in this case let's say it's a half a second so a half a second later, it says, hey, are we still experiencing this acceleration from this trail event? If yes, then it resets the timer, keeps the suspension open. If it's just one tree root on the backside of it, it says the timer expires. It says, hey, is there any more acceleration? If the answer is no, then it goes back to firm suspension, and then it waits for the next event. Right, that's, that's basic algorithm. Now, now, the algorithm is more complicated that it changes if it's going uphill or downhill, or that, but that's the basic scenario. So the, the question becomes, well, how big of a tree root do you want to trigger that suspension to open, right? So a one-inch little tiny tree root, maybe it's better just to keep it firm the whole time because you barely even know that you rolled over that, right, versus a six-inch rock you know maybe create such a big input that for sure you want it to open and the answer to that question is personal preference uh, there's no right or wrong answer and so that's why we give this tuning uh option the, the five modes or the five thresholds that you've described and as you're clicking that up and going more leds it's saying it's taking a bigger input to open the suspension and the overall effect is as you go higher on threshold, you'll spend more time in the firm setting. So you'll spend more time efficient. 
is you have a lower threshold and you'll spend more time with the suspension in the open mode. And so it'll be more biased towards like a comfort setting. Diving a little bit into the rabbit hole. So how many different parameters the system is working with in the algorithm? <laughs> ah, man, 20 maybe. I'm just guessing there's a lot of different parameters. Like I said, I'm giving you the simplified version when you, When you get under the hood, it's pretty complicated. Um, and that's all, you know, those are the things that we implemented to address the concerns Chris had originally during the development phase, right? Um, so the firmware is pretty sophisticated. The result is that it it's a simple writing system, right? Um, but we have timers. We, we have inclined to, I'll give you a couple examples. Like how steep of an incline do you want it to trigger into the climb portion of the algorithm, you know, how steep of a downhill do you want? Um, I mentioned this timer when you hit this route, how long does is the timer on? And that, that kind of bridges the gap to the next bump, right? All, all of these things have big um, contributions to the characteristic of the suspension, right? So there's a massive list of what if events. Oh, for sure. You can go into the rabbit hole big time on this topic. It'd be, The, the conversations I've had a hundred times with people is, hey, in this scenario, this would be the perfect thing to do with suspension, right? And you'd say, okay. And then you could quickly think of another scenario that in terms of the sensor readings that you're getting, you'd want to do exactly the opposite, right? And when you have those scenarios, then that gives impredictability of how the suspension works. And those are problems, right? Um, so you have to be really careful of focusing just on one trail event and doing what you think is the perfect thing and then uh, not considering what the unintended consequences of that algorithm and different trail scenarios are. And so it could be it could get pretty complicated, actually. You are in California, Everett, and Chris, you are in Phoenix, Arizona. Talking about the differences, I mean, California, you have loamers, steep tracks and Arizona is all desert rocks, technical climbs, square edge bumps. Was this helpful for the development of the system, this different type of trails? Oh, for sure. And we, we, we understand being in the Santa Cruz bubble where there's, I don't know if there's any rocks on the trail, you know, I'm joking, but it's certainly different trail conditions than Southern California or Michigan or South Mountain, right? And so we, We tried, this is so beneficial to work with someone like Pivot is to get that trail um, exposure, the type of terrain that you're running. And, and we go out there and we say, okay, does the Santa Cruz uh, algorithm work here? You know, and some, in some respects it does. Sometimes it translates over. And then other times, you know, Chris talked about these punchy moves to get over a steep rock uh, formation or something. You know, we may, maybe don't encounter those in Santa Cruz. And so we definitely had to... Uh, do some algorithm tweaks to accommodate. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the interesting things that uh, it, it was actually kind of a funny story. Uh, Everett and their team came out, and we were we were doing this short loop, and it wasn't a super steep descent, but uh, it uh, it had a a punchy little climb, and then a descent on it that was just rock filled. And uh, they this is when they were working on the pitch detection, but we were kind of doing a blind taste test. They said they had something that they felt would uh, 
benefit some of the issues we were experiencing, but they wouldn't tell us what it was. They just wanted us to go ride it. And they actually wouldn't even let us look at the computer and stuff when they were changing things and kind of, you guys turn around and look the other way. Um, and then we got on the bikes and we, we did the loop the first time with everything kind of the way it had been or with some slight advancements. And then they made the changes. They were all excited to have us go back again. I rode it. I came back and unfortunately I'm like, this feels like crap. This is worse than the first time. And they all kind of looked at each other like I was smoking crack that day. Um, <laughs> and then they, they had me go ride it again, back to back both ways. And I'm like, yeah, that whatever you did actually makes it feel worse. Um, and I, Everett, I think you looked at me and said, that's impossible. And, uh, and then explain the pitch detection that like we're opening it up considerably when you're going downhill and, and how can this thing be getting harsher? And, uh, and then Kevin was like, well, let's go back out on the trail. And Kevin stops and takes out his phone and puts his inclinometer app on and, uh, sets it down. And we kind of looked at the sections of trail where it was the rockiest and, there were sections we had the front wheel up when we were man manualing across stuff. And I think some of those downhill trail sections, there was little sections that they were flat to maybe just a few degrees downhill, I think 7%, something like this. Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but um, it turned out that where you guys had the pitch detection set, was more like Santa Cruz where you're just going down something steep. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, basically we were in full firm, like climb mode the whole time down. And so that's why it felt worse. And then it was just, um, changing the computer to change what was considered a downhill pitch in our terrain and voila, the system was phenomenal. And so, it, but it was a head scratcher for about a half an hour where everybody's kind of like, what's going on here. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, we just, just some minor terrain differences where our downhills actually tend to have some flats and some slight uphill sections. And I mean, even though you might be carrying 20 to 30 miles per hour, um, they're still not steep downhills and, and the system uh, can be set up to accommodate that. There are a lot of nerds out there and they may wonder if they could download a specific setting or profile algorithm to have some, okay, maybe a South Mountain profile and, and Santa Cruz profile or some Alpine Switzerland profile. I would say it's all developed from our perspective to function everywhere. Like what we've got tuned on our bikes, we have tested in Santa Cruz. We've tested in mud and roots and rocks on the East Coast. Um, back in, even in Asheville where, uh, where the Fox East coast is, is at, and then, uh, all throughout the Southwest to find a, a good balance for everything. And then, uh, people can select between, you know, one of the five systems and even change that during the ride if they want, uh, to, to, uh, to get the bump compliance that they're looking for. So we have a system which is able to cope with a lot of different terrain and, Everett, can you give us a little preview of what you may have up your sleeves what for the system and what it will bring in the future? Yeah, uh, yes, we are. There's a company ethos that we're never done. 
Um, so when we launched this, we were thinking about the next, what do we want to improve? What do we want to do differently? Um, what the future holds is, uh, I have to be a little vague on that because I don't know exactly timing and stuff, but I can tell you just things generally we're working on is, uh, I think we'll have more of a focus on, um, the system might look differently for an enduro bike than it does for an XC bike, which is right now we might have different tuning, but there may be more fundamental differences between the different bike categories in the future. Um, certainly things like wireless is still on the table. I mean, all the benefits are still attractive and, you know, the state of technology this year might be quite a bit different in two years time. And, you know, maybe there's something out there that would, that would have the latency to work in our system. You know, um, that's, what's cool about electronics. And it's uh, new for me being a mechanical engineer, but just this, this rate of change of technology in this space is incredible. Um, and there's new stuff coming out. Driverless vehicles are introducing technology that was cost prohibitive two years ago and might be, commonplace now same thing with what's in your phone right the chips that are in a phone were super expensive 10 years ago or maybe didn't even exist and now they cost 20 cents you know um so keeping it abreast of what the industry is doing in large and uh understanding how we can take advantage of the new technology i think will inform the future pretty heavy we covered what is the technical background of this system now we offer it all the way down to cross-country bikes, trail bikes, going up to enduro bikes. This makes it very universal. But what is the rider like, like the, the specific rider profile, those who will benefit the most from this system? Do you want to take that, Chris? Everett, would you like to take that one first? <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear your answer. We, 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 we can both take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a... I'll... Okay. Uh, yeah, no. Go ahead. I'll, <laughs> and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the company line. I'll give you my opinion. I'm really curious to hear Chris's answer, actually. Um, the, the company line is it is agnostic. I think it has benefits for all different types of bikes. And maybe the benefit is different depending on what platform you're talking about. Um, but we've come in saying that's the OEM to answer that question. And we'll help them make a system that's tailored to that type of bike, right? Um, my opinion, my personal opinion is more because of the type of bikes I'm riding, but the mid travel, like the 140 millimeter travel bike, um, in, in the guy who maybe has a family and wants to go out for a quick hour and a half, two hour ride, and then have energy at the end to go play with their kids or to take on a, a house, you know, chore that afternoon. And this system, I think, could be the difference between getting back and being just dead tired and wanting to sit on the couch versus having a little extra energy to take on that afternoon activity. Um, and for me, the little longer travel bikes, you can make them pedal so much better. I think you get the bigger bang, bang for your buck, my opinion. This sounds like a half e-bike to me. <laughs> it, it can feel it does, like It does a, have a battery. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, what is your take? Yeah, it's quite similar. I mean, it's uh, in the fact of what Fox's stance is as a company of that it's it it's meant to benefit all riders and that depending on who you are and what you're doing. Um, I think I said at the beginning that for me, the Mach 4 SL, where you would either have a, a, a normally a, a handlebar lockout and or the saliva valve system does it for you. 
that's to me where I noticed the biggest difference because, um, quite honestly, it's, it's, it's a pain to lock and unlock a lever. Um, and so it's just such an in your face benefit when you get on the bike without it. And it's just this rocket ship that also can have the capability to, of descending way beyond its category. But like Everett said in the mid travel, man, I love what it does for the trail 429 at 120 in the rear and uh, 130 in the front um, because that frame almost weighs what the Mach 4 SL frames weighs. So it can be a race bike. And at the same time, that bike has the capability to um, hit bike park level terrain. And so having a system that even widens that more and allows you to truly take advantage of that cross-country pedaling efficiency at its, at its maximum capability and, and also the maximum plushness, um, which even with the levers on the shocks without actually stopping and, and, uh, and using an Allen wrench to change, uh, further change damping levels, um, you're, you, you can't span the, the breadth of the system. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly whatever it said. It, it, it can, it can give somebody that, that little bit extra. Um, and everybody in just about any of their riding cases can use a little bit extra, no matter who you are. So in the future, we will see Fox life maybe in a different shape, but on all our bikes. Oh yeah. We're definitely putting it on our hardtails. Just kidding. We're not putting it on our hardtails. We'll continue with developing live valve and pretty much right now, every, every pivot full suspension bike has that option. And, um, we're planning on continuing with that in the future. Even though Fox live is out there a couple of years in the market, maybe not all people had the chance to actually ride it. Um, Everett, is there something that you may want to clarify that people assume of the system that have not had experience on it i want to challenge this idea that it's just an electronic lockout um, and i'll offer this scenario to try to illustrate that right so let's say you're climbing relatively smooth trail and you hit uh, one rock uh, an embedded rock or a tree root again in the trail right if you've got a mechanical lockout system and you're in your climb mode say your your suspension is going to be firm when you're going over that tree root i doubt you're gonna as you're climbing full effort you're gonna bother to unlock it go over that route and then lock it again right but if you look at just going over that tree root with full with firm suspension say this mechanical lockout system the wheel has to go over that tree root right And if you've got any decent speed, likely you're bouncing over the tree root. And so your wheel's off the ground and you're losing traction, right? With live valve system, it's firm. You've got the same pedaling firmness that you do on the mechanical system as you're approaching that tree root. You strike it, it opens, and now your picture, the suspension's kind of going through the tree root rather than over the tree root, right? Your wheel stays on the ground. You don't get bucked out of your cadence you go through the tree root on the backside before you put that next pedal stroke down it's firm again right and you go now extrapolate that to you go over 
30 tree roots like that on the climb, even though it's not unreasonable. And you get a sense for what the system's doing in terms of the speed and what the computer can do that you just, even if you tried to do that for every bump, you probably wouldn't. But in reality, you're just like, ah, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to deal with it for this scenario. Um, I, I think this example, a simple, obvious example, kind of illustrates the benefit of the system. Go faster uphill, go faster downhill with more comfort. Yes. Yeah, and that... And, and you're not worrying about it. Yeah, and it, it inter really interacts well with the DW Link system because it's all about square edge bump performance and traction. Uh, with the anti-squat on the DW Link, the way it, it maintains traction going up climbs, well, that goes away if you've just locked out the system. And that's one area where the live valve really interacts quite well with DW Link. When people say, well, if your bike pedals so well, why do you need live valve? And Everett's example is, is a perfect one of being able to have that suspension working when you want it. And most people don't think about that on climbing scenarios, but it, it, that's one area where a longer travel bike like a Firebird really is awesome on technical climbs because the rear wheel digs in, it gets incredible traction. It's not doing it if the suspension is fully locked out. And so at the same time, you can have even better pedaling performance and all that traction on the climbs. Yep. The best of two worlds. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you for your time. Uh, that's a wrap. Right on. And uh, we'll look forward to what the future will bring for the system. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks, guys. This has been fun.